Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's Wednesday. It's live. It's 9 p.m. It's the game plan and on the beat live. On the beat live and with the game plan rolled into one, that means we got a packed house in here. Gregory Hall on the wheels of steel and helping out the flow. Greg Barnes, fresh off of a trip to Charleston and uh, the uh, big stage. Jason Staples, of course, and the man, Sherelle McMillan, rocking the Charlotte Hornets t shirt, whatever we call those long sleeve tees. Are the Hornets any good this this year, Sherelle? They have beaten the two teams who led their respective conferences in the last two games. So well, Melo's beating, got 14 assists right now. Yeah, they're beating the Wizards now, and uh, they just beat Golden State the other night. Nice. Golden so the Hornets State are pretty scary good. right now, especially since you know that they don't have that. Clay, they're going to get Clay back, and like that, they look scary right now. Mm-hmm. I can uh, I can't watch it. I like basketball but i just can't get into the pro stuff let's get into uh why we're here and we're going to start on the basketball side of things this week carolina plays wofford of course in football on saturday we will talk about who's going to play quarterback when we get there after the break but greg barnes uh 5000 seat arena that place was rocking down in charleston last night i thought carolina looked a little shocked and and skittish early because of that but they certainly settled in yeah for sure it's a great atmosphere it's good to to see college basketball back uh live and in person right um you know i was down there in 2010 uh, when andrew goodluck hit a corner three to uh force overtime and then charleston won in overtime and i was sitting in the same spot i was sitting on tuesday night right on the baseline except in 2010 all the students came over top of me, uh, which was quite a fiasco. And so I was, I was curious if that was going to happen uh, Tuesday night, but it did not. And uh, you know, North Carolina got another quality win. Uh, it's interesting. North Carolina is 3-0, and and they're also 0-3 against the spread. So I think that tells us a lot about kind of where this team is. Not quite playing up to expectations, but doing enough to get the job done. Um, you know, Leaky Black has been just an incredible story thus far. Armando Bacot uh, is playing like an All-American. Uh, Caleb Love played good in the second half. 
some other guys maybe have not come along as much as maybe we thought. Justin McCoy, Anthony Harris, even Dawson Garcia. Uh, you know, been expecting to see a little bit more from him. So still some some work to be done, but they needed to get through this stretch 3-0 to, to head to Connecticut, which is going to be very difficult. Uh, and then, so it's a mission accomplished thus far. Yeah, you talk about 2010 game, and I mentioned it on our Slack channel and Inside Carolina Slack channel. I covered with J.B. Sissel the 99 game, 98 game. Yeah, 98 game where they won in the what, Sherelle, Diet Pepsi Tournament of Champions in Charlotte. And uh, I'll never forget, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be a College of Charleston win. And College of Charleston had a right good student section there. And they came up to J.B. and I was like, look, we don't want y'all to get hurt but we about to storm this court and we're coming over the top of y'all. So JB and I packed up our stuff. And next thing I know, we had teenagers standing on our table on our press table, just rocking and rolling as they beat Carolina then. So it's, I've always, you know, I've always liked Charleston, the town, the campus is pretty cool. And I tell you what, their head coach um, certainly earned some pointers or earned some points. And his post-game press conference was great. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's out there on YouTube. Sherelle, um, I'll get you in here. A lot of people um, were gnashing some teeth early in that ball game, but I think that's how this team's going to be. They're going to have to fill it out, um, at least early in the season. What did you see that flipped for Carolina? Um, because the first 15 minutes or so, they were brutal um, on the defensive end, and they sort of they ramped it up. What, was it a, a mental thing? Was it the environment? What did you see? I think rightfully so people were gnashing their teeth because it was pretty ugly. It was a repeat of a lot of the Brown game in those first, what, I guess, 11 or 12 minutes. And honestly, I think the change was when the two sophomore guards got in foul trouble that forced Hubert Davis to go to his third option at point guard, which, you know, I think for the longest time we thought it would be Leaky Black. And then as the season got closer and practice started, we started hearing Anthony Harris, but it turns out, it was Licky Black, who was kind of the third point guard, the emergency point guard. So with him in the lineup, and then you have Kerbin Walton at the two, and then you have McCoy at the three, you have a really huge lineup. Kerbin Walton was the smallest guy on the court for UNC at 6'5". And I really think him and Leaky played some really good defense last night, and their length bothered the shooters from College of Charleston. And so that kind of got UNC back in the game defensively. Their offense still hadn't caught up yet but they were able to stand the tide. And I think they got down 11 and then my halftime had cut that down to six and then, you know, they were on their way. So I really think that what, to me, that was the, the a key moment of the game was that Leakey and Kerwin um, kind of solidified things uh, defensively, um, at least off the ball defensively, I'll say, um, and limited their shooters and, and got them kind of back into the game and then allowed Baycott to do his thing. And then Love and Baycott and Walton to some degree closed the game um, in the second half offensively. So here's the question I had um, as Jason eats his dinner. Um, we talked about in the offseason, if Love and R.J. Davis both start, then who's going to be that point guard? And, Greg, I'll come back to you on it, um, and then we can get it around the table. Is We thought it would be Anthony Harris. Is it Leakey has the trust of, of Coach Davis? Is it a uh, is it Anthony Harris just not ready to provide those minutes? I'm I'm a little shocked at the tightness of the rotation. I understand it. I'm still shocked by it. 
But I'm really shocked that Harris didn't get any run when Love and Davis got in foul trouble. Yeah, I think the fact that Leakey has played a little bit at point guard. I mean, Roy brought him in to be a point guard. And one of the unique things about Leakey over the years, we've had very upfront conversations with him saying that, hey, Roy said he wants you to be point guard. And Leakey's like, yeah, I know. He brought me in to be point guard. I'm not sure if that's the right position for me. So there's always this kind of strange dynamic. Um, but it kind of reminded me of Marcus Ginyard at, at Virginia, however many years ago, where uh, Caleb Love had played, I think, like eight and a half minutes to start the game. He goes out to get a breather, and then, bam, R.J. Davis gets a, his second foul. Can't put R- Caleb back in at that point in time. You need to let him get a catch his breath. So, yeah, it goes to, okay, we need Leakey out there defensively. Uh, he knows what to do offensively. And so they let him run point for, for a couple minutes. Um, I want to want to follow on, on what Rel said about kind of how the game played out. I have a little bit different take on it. And, um, you know, I, I think we, we, we tend to get um, lost in the noise of a lot of situations. Uh, and, and instead of focusing on maybe what's most important. And in sports, uh, what matters most is matchups. And so you know, amid the chaos at the TD arena, you know, on Tuesday night, the crowd was loud. Uh, there was a lot of ball turnovers. The Cougars certainly wanted the game more than North Carolina did in the first half. But there were two things that really jumped off the court at me that, that, that heavily favored North Carolina. Number one, Charleston had no answer for Armando Baycott in the post. None whatsoever. Armando could have scored 40 points if he'd wanted to, especially if he had hit free throws. That's an issue for him moving forward. Number two, John Meeks was Charleston's leading scorer. And Leaky Black had completely shut him down. And so even though North Carolina was down by 11 points early, I'm looking at this saying, okay, if you shut down a mid-majors leading scorer while having a significant advantage in the post, good luck mid-major. And I really think looking at that, it was like, okay, how can Charleston win this game? And when you, when you dominate in the post like Armando was doing, when you lock down their best shooter, uh, it really became the only way Charleston can win this game, even though they're up right now, is if they get hot from three. Because there's at one point in the first half, I think Carolina was shooting 50% and Charleston was like at 35%. And when you balance all this out, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so um, Charleston's not uh, statistically not a great team. I think they're north of 200, both in adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency. So while the crowd was wild and crazy, that wasn't a great team on the court. So give North Carolina credit for enduring the run uh, and, the, and the emotion and all that to start the game. But North Carolina did what it needed to do. And as Rel said, once you know, Baycott kind of carried them through, Leakey carried them through, and then once the guards settled down, ball game was over. Uh, but because they had significant advantage in those two spots, I think that was really the determining factor. Gregory, um, Baycott, I mean, what, what is there to say about this guy? I, I, he could be ACC player of the year. 
um, given how this team plays, if he, especially if he plays like that. I think Greg would agree. Um, I didn't see him in person last night. But that was his best game he's played since Oregon in Nassau yeah. two years ago. And um, you're right. He's got to figure out the free throw shooting. That's why Tyler Hansborough was so difficult to deal with is because you could bang him, foul him, beat him to death, and he'd just sit up there and strike three throws. Um, and make you pay that way. Baycott needs to get there. But Gregory, what did you see from the big man um, that we haven't seen since that game back in November of 19? I think it has a lot to do with being 100% healthy. Yeah, for sure. And part of that being healthy is why he's able to take the ball from the top of the key, drive, and then I believe he passed it off to Brady for an easy layup. Like that's the Armando Baycott that Greg, your article that you wrote Hubert's quote about sat down with Armando and told him, look, you want to play in the NBA? You're not going to be able to do that with what your current skill set is. And that play stood out to me as far as he's got the ball at the top of the key. He's looking around to try to give it to one of the ball handlers on the floor, but he sees the open lane and he's like, screw it, takes it. And then once he gets there, he's guarded and he can pass it off. Yes. He dominated um, against a lesser sized team. I mean, he's got an 82% effective field goal percentage. He's 26th in the nation in effective field goal percentage because he's not. And Hubert said this as well. He's not pivoting three times. He's not putting the ball on the floor. He gets the ball in the post. He's going up, which is what Hubert talked about in the preseason. Um, I believe in the open practice, they did a, slew of drills of the bigs you get the ball you go up with it right away and that's what Armando did that paired with he's obviously slimmed down he's more fit he he looks quicker out there the way he's played in these three games is why the media voted for Garrison Brooks to be ACC preseason player of the year right that's the, this is the type of play that people expected out of Garrison based on his season that he had the year prior and whatnot and this is what that's what Armando is doing now. So you mentioned ACC pre, or ACC player of the year. I mean, yes, it's only three games and whatnot and things change and you go up against better opponents. We'll see what he can do against um, Purdue and then either Villanova or Tennessee. But I mean, 82% effective field goal percentage and he's got he's blocking nearly 12% of shots, which, of course, he blocked six shots against Charleston on the last night and that's probably a majority of where that's coming from that's kind of what i saw out of him i think something that's uh overlooked on him too is discernment not the biblical uh jason the biblical version but just uh making good decisions i think is really huge for him because all the talk in the offseason what's it been about armando can shoot threes now he can cross over and you know do turn turn around jump shots he can do all those things he's going to show off his game it's really hard, I think, to realize, hey, there's a 6'5 guy on me. I just need to take him into the post and shoot over him, and I can score every single time. And so we talked about it, you know, the whole Jurassic Park thing. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And he's shown a, a great ability thus far um, through three games to realize where, where the strength is. And the strength right now is against these smaller teams that he can just back them down make one pivot and, you know, be at the rim for an easy layup or, or get fouled. Um, as the season goes on, I'm sure he'll stretch it out a little bit, but I, I've been, I, I was looking at that very close because there's been a lot of talk, a whole, whole lot of talk since April about Armando's Baycott's, you know, 
perimeter game and how he's going to shoot threes and everything. So I, I think that's a big point for him is realizing um, advantages and, and um, making sure that he capitalizes on those. That's well, a great point. The thing is, as you do that sort of thing against those smaller teams, when you play teams that actually can match up size wise with you, they have to honor that that much more. So it opens it up for it, those good decisions pay off. It opens it up more for you down the line when you're playing against teams that then you do have to stretch or you can stretch against those guys. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he does against some of the bigger, bigger teams that they play against. Cause like Gregory said, he's moving a lot better. Yeah. Speaking I think, I think that if, if I'm defending Baycott, I'd love to see him out there shooting threes. He can take all he wants if I'm playing defense against him. Absolutely. Go ahead, Gregory. I was going to say, speaking of decision-making, um, obviously 11 turnovers in the first half, but a lot of them were just careless as far as – I don't think not, I don't think most of them were bad decisions as far as they were just trying to inbound the basketball and they weren't taking into account the aggression that Charleston was having. They were jumping every pass on inbounds plays – careless passes it's not like Caleb was making a bad pass to try to go from the top of the key to the wing it was just Charleston was jumping them and UNC just didn't either wasn't expecting it or just didn't care but the decision making from across the board as far as the ball handlers I mentioned Armando with driving and then passing and what Roland um, Jason just talked about Caleb RJ Leaky. yes Leaky still sometimes likes to pull up from that 18 foot range that drives me crazy because it's the most inefficient shot in basketball, but um, he's shooting 50% nearly 50% from the floor. So I guess you'll take it if that's the case. Um, but when Caleb drives, if he's in, if he's double teamed and whatnot, he's passing it off. He's gotten some easy layups that way. Um, those guys have definitely matured from the year, from the year prior. And I think that's shown and is kind of why we're sitting here and talking about how they're, almost at the amount of 20-point games that they had last year, and they've played three games this year. That with the change in the offense and the four out and one end, but I think the decision-making plays a larger role in that than that's the spacing and kind of who's on the floor, in my opinion. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think, Sherelle, your point about there's things you can do, there's things that you should do, um, and all that plays a gigantic role. And, and I think – that's what we've seen thus far with Caleb, especially, and RJ as well, is they can do certain things. They don't necessarily have to do it every time down the court, and they've made those decisions. Um, somebody asked in the chat, and I'll just go ahead and get into that uh, if I can find it. Is Dawson Garcia pressing? His shot selection's been off, um, rush nature, all that. What do you think, Sherelle? I, I think – it, it looked like he's trying to press. Now, I was impressed he got some rebounds. I think at one point he had seven fairly early in the ball game, um, But he looks like he's trying to do maybe a little too much to keep up with what everybody else is doing. What do you see there? You know, perhaps. Um, I, you know, still we're still learning his game because, frankly, I, I didn't watch him a lot of Marquette last year. We watched him in high school. But, uh, you know, we're, we've got an exhibition game and three regular season games to go by. I think there's a little bit of – trying to feel and, and fit in and understand exactly what his role is. Um, role definition for any team is huge. I think the teams who always have a leg up, their players understand exactly what it is they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, um, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And I think he's probably still trying to figure that out with his group because while Manic and, and McCoy are new, you know, the core people who are playing 
were pretty much here last year outside of, of Manic and Garcia. It's the two guards, it's Walton, it's uh, Armando, and it's Leaky. So those guys have that chemistry built in already from playing together for a year. And I think Manic, you know, again, he was in Chapel Hill a couple of months earlier than Garcia. I don't want to say that's the sole reason that he's maybe a little bit ahead, but you can't discount those couple of months. You know, he got there in early May and Garcia was there for two weeks in July and then got there, you know, in the fall for, uh, for practice. So um, I think it's just a little bit of trying to fit in, maybe a little bit depressing, but I don't think it's something really to be concerned about uh, at, at this moment. He's a talented player and it's just going to take a little bit of time for him to, um, I think, mesh with the rest of the guys. Definitely. And like I said, there, there were times there, there've been guys that we've talked about if they weren't hitting shots, they might as well have not been out there, but he had eight, I believe last night, eight rebounds last night. So it's definitely contributes and it'll come around. I mean, obviously he can play Greg, are, are we surprised um, that I see seven guys averaging at least 23 minutes a game with Caleb Love averaging almost 34 um, nowhere near is that a Roy Williams team and Quite frankly, um, I'm glad to see it, see something different after um, a long time of seeing so many players play a lot of minutes early. But is it surprising to you that that rotation's been so tight? It is, yeah. And uh, I was just looking, if you look at Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, and, and Kerwin Walton, uh, they're averaging about 14 minutes more combined per game than they did last year. And so I know a lot of people are asking about the tight rotation and specifically about Anthony Harris. There you go. Uh, there's just not many minutes there because Hubert Davis is, is preferring to go with this, this tight rotation. Uh, it's very interesting to me because this, you, and granted, you know, I've covered Roy Williams for 15 years. So this is a process for me as well, kind of understanding a different approach. Um, but Roy's approach made a lot of sense. Like, I got all these guys. All of them are pretty good. Uh, I'm going to give them all opportunities and let them play. And we'll see by the time we get the ACC play in January who's actually proven that they can play. And they'll get to play in the ACC you know, season. And then once we get to March, they'll get to play in the postseason. Hubert seems to have already decided, hey, these are the guys I think I can rely on, these seven guys. Uh, and you know, going back to the leaky conversation, Tommy, if, if Leakey's going to be your, your third point guard, and if he's going to be your defensive stopper, I mean, and he's played great. I mean, he, he's earned his playing time. But if he's going to be a guy that's, that's going to play 24 minutes a game, where do minutes come from for Anthony Harris? I mean, who are you going to put on the bench and play? So are you going to take minutes away from Caleb Love so Anthony Harris can play some? I, mean, I think that's a good question. Same with Justin McCoy. Um, I think we're kind of seeing that maybe McCoy is, is better suited for a, for a four. Uh, and it would be a good option against a team that plays a lot of true stretch fours. That remains to be seen. Uh, I think it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm really going to be interested to see what happens this weekend because, yes, North Carolina plays a very difficult team on Saturday in Purdue. Very good team, legitimate Final Four contender. Uh, judging how difficult the Charleston game was, Caleb Love played a lot of minutes. So did R.J. Davis. So did Armando Baycott. Well, if you do that again on Saturday, guess what? You turn around and 24 hours later, you play another legitimate 
at least top 25 team in either Villanova or Tennessee. So are you going to play Caleb Love uh, 70 minutes in two days? I don't know. So, again, just another example of something that we just haven't seen yet. And so we're speculating, but um, it is certainly interesting. Somebody asked who's been the most impressive off the bench. I mean, you can really only pick from two guys. You might only be able to pick from one because Brady started a game. He's only started one game. So I guess it's Brady and Kerwin are your bench players. And I guess Brady is impressed more than Kerwin, but Kerwin's been the only true bench guy and he's averaging 10 points. And I mean, we saw what he did last night. Um, so speak like the speaking, speaking of Kerwin, this is what I wanted to bring up um, Rel, as far as coming off the bench. He's obviously handled it. Well, yesterday was slow in the first half, but it was slow in the first half for a lot of the team. Are you kind of surprised by, or just what are your thoughts on how he's kind of handled? I mean, last year he was the guy, he was the guy that relied on shooting. And now this year, Caleb and RJ are both emerged as, I mean, we saw what RJ did the other night and Brady can score. And then obviously Armando. So how do you think he's handling it three games in as far as coming off the bench and, not necessarily being a role player because there's only seven guys and they still rely on him heavily. They probably, they might not win the game without him last night, but just thoughts on kind of how that transitioned for him. Um, you know, everybody wants to start, but I would say for Kerwin, it's all about winning. Um, when we talked to him during his recruitment and talked to the people around him, it always was, he went to North Carolina because he wanted to be challenged because he wanted to win a national championship. And so I think, you know, as long as they're winning, I think it's fine because um, that's the ultimate goal. And I do think he's that type of, of team player. Um, as far as, you know, am I surprised? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just because his his skill is, I, I don't know anyone else, else on the team who has a skill as elite as Kerwin shooting is. As far as like individual talents, I think that's the, the best overall individual talent they have on the team. So, um, I'm surprised that it's not starting, but also he's still getting a ton of minutes. And I think part of it is that he has such a great attitude um, that it's not a chemistry problem. You know, there, there are some players on some teams who, if they had started, you know, 15 games as a freshman, and then you come and tell them, hey, you're going to come off the bench some, but you're still going to get about the same amount of minutes, that could be a chemistry problem. But I don't think that's the case with him. So um, I think he's handled it fine. And who knows, you know, if, if the defensive player of the game thing continues you know he might be in the starting lineup on Saturday we just don't know um so I, I think he's handled it well and remember the goal coming into the season that was whispered was 50 percent from three and he's he's there through three games so a tenth of the season is over we'll, we'll see over the next uh over the next nine tenths of the season how it goes whispered by you whispered by folks just people around around in in the ether as people would say folks Folks, Folks, that's for yes. sure. Uh, let me ask the, the a question that um, I think may be relevant, but and Greg, I want to get your opinion on it, and I mentioned it in the Slack to give you all a heads up. How much is the short rotation? Is Hubert knows he needs to win now. He needs to win early. He's a new coach. Versus Roy had this built-up success. I've got umpteen championships. I've got 800 wins. I can play who the hell I want to play and build my team is there a dynamic there or is it just a different style of coaching 
um, from the two guys. I have a pretty strong take on this because I've been pretty upfront in saying if, if you're going to hire a guy who's never coached a, a college basketball game before, you better be willing to give him a long leash. And I'm not talking about one year, two years, you know, at least three years, because yes, he's, he's played the game at a high level. He's been on the bench alongside of Roy Williams. He's never done this as a head coach. And so there's got to be a lot of grace involved. So if he's, if he's playing or if he's coaching right now and, and structuring his lineups because he feels like he has to win immediately uh, for his job, I think that's a problem. I don't know if it's his job. It's for people to think he can do it. Well, you, you, would, think he, uh, you would think he would not be of that mindset. Right, doesn't um, that tie in together? Yeah, I would think so. See, I, I don't think it's for his, his job or for people who think he can coach. I just don't think they have a lot of time to get all this together. Um, I think you have you know, two months. He's got plenty of time. I, no, you don't because, you know, uh, Greg, you have a favorite story. I'm, I'm going to share it back to you, and then we'll talk about it. So uh, Greg likes to ask me questions. I'm going to ask him a question. Los Angeles, 2014. You're in the locker room. The season's over. What did Marcus Page say to you about, you know, playing Wisconsin, the number one seed, and why they were playing them in the Sweet 16? So the season didn't come along until too late, and they got in a position where they had to play too good of a team too early in the tournament. And what happened last year when they lost to Wisconsin in the first round? The same thing. So, like, yeah, you know, I think, again, we're shifting from the Roy Williams mindset, which is kind of a, a very long-haul mindset, to the Hubert Davis one. And I just don't think you can afford not saying that Roy ever purposely lost the game. I want to cancel that now. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Don't come <laughs> after me with the pitchforks and send me nasty DMs. I'm not saying that. He may uh, have. He, he may have. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that you have to, with Purdue and Michigan and UCLA and possibly, you know, one of Villanova and Tennessee, if you lose three or four of those games, that's going to affect your seating, which will impact where you go, which will impact the type of team you place in the first play in the first or second round. Now, I know there's 20 ACC games, but ACC is not looking like a really strong league this year. So um, your chances to really impress the committee, even though it's November and December, are these games coming up? And I feel like he knows that. And I feel like um, if you want to you know, do well in the tournament, you, the better seed you, you, know, you get, the, the better chance you have of going farther. So I think that is part of the reason, and I'm, I'm just guessing, I haven't talked to Hubert Davis, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I think that's part of the reason that you have a short rotation because you know you need to win a couple of these games to get these high-profile games, UCLA, Purdue, Tennessee, Michigan, or uh, Villanova. I think it's fascinating because in this current landscape where the transfer portal is such a big deal, you know, North Carolina's got three of them that they have to work in that they're going to rely on to be a part of this rotation remains to be seen exactly how much Justin McCoy will factor in if he's number eight or not. Um, but when you've got new pieces coming in guys who are talented, who have played elsewhere and had success, you just, just in terms of how everything pieces together, it's going to take longer for those guys to come together and form that chemistry. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I see your point. I, I guess if you need to force the chemistry, right. you can. Right. Um, I, think that's, I, I, think, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, is I feel like right. he's trying to force the chemistry as, as quickly as possible to get everybody on the same page. And the question, 
question then, Rel, do you think that as that chemistry gets established with the with that first group, do you think that this season actually ends up being kind of the reverse of how uh, Roy Williams teams have typically gone to where the bench actually expands a little bit over the course of the year, as opposed to, you know, as we all saw for years with Roy, you might have an 11 man bench for that first month. And then by, by the time you get to March, it's down to, you know, to eight guys or whatever. Are we looking at starting with seven for that first month and then slowly, you know, you incorporate one other guy who you can trust and now the chemistry and the roles are carved out and now it's an eight man, you know, maybe nine man thing by the time you get late in the year. Is that, is that kind of what we might see here? Is this more of a, uh, you know, is it just an anybody's guess here? Yeah, I mean, it's anybody's guess, but I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, as you know, you know, coaches, their, their currency is trust that above all else. It's if no matter how talented you are, if I can't trust you, I'm not going to play you. Um, so I think we see right now the players that Hubert Davis and the staff have full confidence in. And I think as they get more chances in practice, they get more chances in maybe some games that are out of reach, um, they can they can earn that trust. But I mean, you know, Hebrew Davis, he's talked about in the offseason how there were no breaks. It was all gas all the time. And I think you're just seeing that carry over on into the season. There, there's no time. There's no time to get people ready for a, a hypothetical situation in January when you've got this kind of uh, murderer's row schedule coming up over the next three weeks. So here's the other part of it. With the transfer portal being the situation that it is, and you've got a very tight rotation, but you got a lot of talented kids on the roster. How do you sue the egos if guys aren't playing? If McCoy's not playing, if Anthony Harris is not playing, whenever Puff gets healthy, I mean, how's he factor into a tight rotation? The freshman. So these are, you know, again, this is all just hypothetical stuff, but these are things that Hubert Davis has got to figure out. Like, do I want to stick with a tight rotation knowing that some of these kids just want to play a little bit? And I need to give them opportunities or am I trying to win every single game instead of building this team over the course of a season? Um, as, as Rail said, we're, we're really just kind of throwing out ideas here, but those are things to watch as we move ahead in the season. And, and I, I asked someone around the program about um, the log jam, seemingly log jam at certain positions. And they were very clear. They said the best guys are going to play. And I was like, so you're not worried. They said the best guys are going to play. And that was, that was it. So um, I, I think it's just, a, I think it's a different, it's, it feels new. It feels different. And um, it feels very NBA too. Um, shout out to my guy, Ryan Campbell. He brought that up. It's like, you know, um, seven, eight guys, you get a rotation. And if you can't break the rotation, like enjoy your seat. Um, it's a little more cutthroat seemingly, <laughs> but I think that's where they are right now. Um, all we have to go on is, is these three games. And that's what we've seen in these three games. Is it that much more different than what other programs do? It's different from what okay. Williams does. Yeah. Right, but should we be comparing it? I mean, Hubert's – obviously, he's kept some Carolina things, but it's very obvious that this is different than Roy. So should it be more of a comparison to us talking about what Roy did, or should it be just comparing what Hubert's doing to other coaches that are currently coaching? I don't Great. watch. It's a fair comment, for sure. Yeah. So we compare them to my, the eight my, miles down the road that plays six guys. Yeah, see that's, that's Gonzaga's only played eight or nine so far. It well, eight or nine is very different from seven though, and seven yeah. is pretty different from six. 
Gonzaga is more talented, though. Yeah, yeah, Gonzaga is definitely more talented. But, you know, the thing is, it's different at every program because, like you said, you go eight miles east and they're playing six guys. You go, what, 700 miles south and they're usually playing 11. So, you know, it's a completely different thing depending on program. So I think that the big thing is that the comparison to Roy really matters a lot because it is what North Carolina has been for so long. The best guys are going to play reminds me of the coach um, that's also on campus. Actually, all the coaches on campus (laughs) at Carolina, the best people are going to play. I think Hubert's adopted. I get um, why he's doing it. I get, uh, I get the decisions that are made. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to have a short rotation early. I mean, you know, people want other people to play. People want Anthony Harris to get time or Puff when he gets back to get time. But those same people that talk about wanting to work these guys in are also flaming when they're not playing well and they're losing games and all that stuff. And and so there's a fine line. Um, I think Hubert's going to do it his way. Rail, you might have the, uh, you might have the line of the podcast though. If, it, it, the best people are going to play, and if you're not one of those, enjoy your seat. I mean, <laughs> what about the freshmen now? It's a new. Yeah, let's talk just, about them. I don't think they're going to play much all year. Right. That's the. Is it more like football when we're we get to January and it's like, oh, we're past that halfway point. Let's start playing some of the young guys. They they've been here and they've gotten used to the ropes. Is that what we're looking at? And if that is that even feasible in basketball? So here's the thing. You, Mac Brown brought this up a couple weeks ago, and it's valid. It's valid for all sports, but especially these two. And he said that you know, when he was at Texas, he had all these talented kids on the roster, and they were all happy. Why were they happy? Texas was blowing everybody out. And so your starters come out of halftime, and all your twos and threes go in and play the whole second half. So everybody gets to play. But North Carolina football the past couple of years have been had so many close games that you have to – rely on your main guys. And so the younger guys don't get as many reps. If you look at North Carolina's basketball schedule, um, I mean, some of the easiest games were supposed to be these first three. <laughs> now it remains to be seen because with the transfer portal and college of Charleston had 10 new guys, in addition to a new head coach, we don't know what they're going to be like. Brown hadn't played a game in 20 months against the division one team. Who knows how they're going to be loyal is one in three. But North Carolina was competitive, or at least the opponent was competitive in each of those games. And so it wasn't like Hubert could just throw in the, the guys at the end of the bench to get minutes. And you would think against Asheville next week, they'll be able to do that. But you're quickly running out of opportunities for those games. I mean, even App State's not bad. Um, and so if you're not going to do it against those teams, are you going to do it against Purdue? Are you going to do it against Michigan, against UCLA, Virginia Tech? I doubt it. And there's some recursive qualities to that too, because I mean, that's, that's one of the advantages of being the team that blows everybody out is that those guys do get to play in environments where they can screw up (laughs) and then you can fix it. Right. So then, and, and then you can also devote more time to getting that stuff fixed in practice. So, you know, it's recursive that, you blow teams out so you can play more guys when it doesn't matter quite as much. They can make their mistakes when it doesn't matter. You can fix those mistakes and then you can trust them more when it comes to tighter games and then they can play more as a result. And so you're building that as a program. And, and, and I think that applies to both basketball and football in that regard that, you know, you, as you get better, you're able to play more guys because you're better. 
And then that actually helps you stay, get even better <laughs> because those guys are actually playing. So it's, there, there really is that one hurdle you have to get over to get to where you're in control of enough games to take that next step, which is really a big step in, in terms of um, program development. And I'm speaking more about football than basketball here, but, but I think it really applies to both. It's a really good example. It does. And as long as you have a coaching staff that um, lays it out and is fair about it, I, I don't think there can be any, I mean, there's always going to be guys griping about wanting to play, but if you're not beaten out so-and-so in practice, do you deserve to play given what, they're doing i'll never forget what did max owens tell me greg i don't care as long as we win as soon as they stopped winning it went sideways and i just think <laughs> hubert had to win I, I think these games had to be won early in the season for for the reasons i stated but also for the reasons sherelle stated what about the freshmen um dunn and styles um sherelle you saw them and and, and followed them enough in high school. I mean, do you, do you think there's a way in for these guys to get any legitimate minutes? I'm not going to say legitimate minutes. All minutes are good minutes. To get any quality time in games that matter when it matters, like Jason was just talking about for those two. Well, I think we've already seen that, that Styles has gotten some. Uh, I think Leakey was in foul trouble and maybe Curran was as well. And Styles played a few minutes. Uh, I think it was against Brown, five minutes against Brown. Um, so he, he, you know, he's he was inserted into the lineup. So I think that's something. Um, I think he he's the one. When Jason talked about maybe the the rotation expanding <clears throat> to seven or eight or nine uh, in January, he's the one that came to mind because one, he's going to be very very important for UNC moving forward. Two, he has the kind of things that I think. Uh, Hubert Davis is looking for as we talked about there's one ball and right now you can see that North Carolina can score pretty easily um, knock on wood um, but they've scored more each in each game moving forward um, so you need someone who is kind of a bruiser who's athletic who can guard multiple positions um, kind of what Justin McCoy was brought in to do so to speak and I think uh, Styles can do that so I think he's right there with McCoy as someone who could earn minutes, if he can come in and guard a small ball four, you know, grab a rebound, push tempo, finish and transition, those type of things. Um, so I think he has a clearer path than Dunn. I think Dunn right now, um, it's going to be very difficult just because what Greg said, how much RJ Davis and Caleb Love are playing. And then to some extent, Kerr Walton, when he plays the two, um, there's just not many minutes left after those three um, take them up. So I, I think Dunn has a much tougher path to minutes than Styles. All right, let's uh, get near the end of the basketball talk. Let me go around the room, get a question going. I'm going to go to everybody. I'm going to start with you, Gregory. Um, it's one of the questions you posted in our Slack. Other than a rim protector, is there anything else this team lacks? Defensive pride for 40 minutes. We saw it in the second half, but in the first half, I mean – like Greg mentioned, they led by 11 and it wasn't as concerning considering their best score in Armando, but still, you still trailed by 11 to College of Charleston because they were getting easy buckets. It's not like they were shooting lights out from three. Um, obviously, the turnovers played a role, but this is the second game in a row where defensive pride has, which is I'm using RJ's word. He in the players' word, they referred to it as just taking more pride on the defensive side of the ball um, has been an issue. 
and that needs to be fixed. And if it wasn't fixed after you gave up 50 points and a half to Brown, um, and then you turn around and you give up, what was it, 42? Is that how many points that Charleston had in the first half? You give up 42 in the next game after defense was the largest issue in the game before, both of which are, I believe, both teams are maybe in the 200s and on Ken Palm, if I'm not mistaken. Like, there's not like you're giving up 42 and 50 to Purdue. Like, if they give up 42 points to Purdue on Saturday, you're giving up 42 points to a good team, you know? And so I think that's kind of what they're lacking right now is we sh- they showed it in the second half. Um, they played much better defensively in the second half. Leakey played defensively good the whole game against um, Charleston's best player. But across the board, whoever's on the floor, 40 minutes of tight defense and actually moving your feet more than two steps, not just being, okay, I'm going to go with you two steps and then I'm going to let the guy in the post finish the job. It needs to be the whole 40 minutes and then if it goes into overtime and whatnot, that's, I think, what this team is currently lacking. Jason. Yeah, I got to, I got to basically say that, I don't know. I I don't know that they're really missing anything other than really being settled into the, into the, into the system and having like defined roles carved out. I think talent wise, they have the pieces other than that rim protector. But I think Rel has been on, has been right about how important it is to get the chemistry to where guys know what their roles are in your system and with the guys that they're playing with. I think that's the thing really. And, and that includes the defensive side as well. Um, I think part of the defensive issues come down to that sort of thing in terms of uh, playing together and, expectations of, of all of that learning to play as a, as a unit defensively with different guys. So I think that's a factor as well, but I, I don't think that personnel wise, they're missing a ton because, you know, I guess the one other thing I do wonder other than Caleb love, who's going to actually be the guy that can, that can get to the basket in against it. That that's, that's the other thing I guess that I would say is, is against a really, a really high quality defense that can really pressure you on the outside that has length and can take away some spot shooting. Cause this team can shoot. Who's going to be the guy that can break you down off the dribble and create, create plays off the bounce that, I mean, I think they've got that with love to some extent, but I, I, I wonder who the other guy is there. And I, th- I think you need two. at least Greg. Uh, Rel touched on this earlier. I think it's just role development. I mean, we, we know that Armando Baycott is the force down low. We know that Leaky Black is the uh, defensive stopper on the wing. Uh, we know that RJ Davis and Caleb Love are, are kind of figuring out what they're doing together uh, in the backcourt. But, but what is it for Anthony Harris? What is it for Dawson Garcia? What is it for Justin McCoy? Uh, where can they find their niche? How can they... How can they best help this team in unique ways? And I think those guys are examples of players that haven't figured it out. And so as soon as they are able to do that, this whole, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. I know Joey Powell talks about it a lot of you got all these good pieces. They can never play to that hole and play better. Then you got something right now. They're playing as a lot of, a lot of fragmented pieces. And once that comes together, this team will be a lot better. Shreel, same question with, with the, uh, the tack on. Can you really define roles? 
um, in practice. And then the initial question, what does this team lack? Um, we talk about practice. Yeah. I don't I think, think you, my you point is, you, you what have are we to. talking about? Practice? Uh, but, I agree with that. But I don't know if you can, though, without, you know, how many times in the off season did we hear somebody who's tearing it up? Well, I mean, that's that's just, you know, that's just kind of standard talk, you know. Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn are supposed to be two of the best players to ever play at Carolina, uh, Tommy. You know, Orlando Melendez is still, you know, they weren't who I was talking to. You know what I'm saying? Terrence Newby is is killing it out there. You know, I'm I'm sounding real old now. But yeah, I just think that's that's par for the course. And it and part of our job is to kind of slice through that and figure out what is real and what isn't. Um, But, you know, I'm kind of with Jason. I think this team and Greg, I think this team has pretty much what it needs to be successful. It's just a matter of figuring out how to play together. And to the point of our earlier conversation, I think that's why you force feed minutes to the guys who you think are going to be, you know, your, your top seven, top eight guys is because you want to build that chemistry to your point, Tommy, in games, not in practice as much as possible. And it, I don't want to say it hurts chemistry, but it makes it difficult for those seven or eight guys to get into a flow. If you're, you know, playing 11 people, and you're experimenting with lineups, especially when you have a new system. That's the other thing. With Roe Williams, he could do it uh, because, you know, we knew what Roe Williams' system it was. It, it was tried and true over three decades, and we knew what it looked like. And, you know, it was kind of like the Remember the Titans, like Novocaine, it's four plays. Just, you know, it just takes a little bit, and it'll start working. So um, I think that's why Roe Williams was able to do what he was able to do. But with Hubert Davis, again, you know, they're guys with NBA aspirations. They're guys whose eligibility will run out. There are guys who might want to try something different. So, you know, the clock is ticking on this team. And it seems like, oh, yeah, they've got a whole season. They can get it together. But there's not that kind of time. And I think this sense of urgency is needed um, just because in the past, I think Carolina has sleepwalked, sweet, sleepwalked a little bit through November um, and December. So I think it's role definition. I think it's just getting comfortable with one another. And then you kind of see where things go. Um, I did before, before, before we finish the basketball, I wanted to, I have two stats I wanted to share because I, I think they're very interesting to me at least. And obviously, you know, caveat supply, three games, small sample, et cetera, et cetera. But um, right now UNC has an effective field goal percentage of 59.7. So obviously three games, but in the Kim Palm era, which dates back to uh, coach Smith's last season, 1997, that would be the highest North Carolina's ever had. So file that away, right? So they're shooting really well, um, getting good shots, and they're making threes because threes kind of accelerate or, or boost up your effective field goal percentage. And then offensive rebound percentage. They're rebounding 26.8% of their misses. That would be the lowest <laughs> in the Ken Palm era, which dates back to Coach Smith's last season. So this just shows to me just how different it is. Um, the things we're used to just just aren't there anymore. There's still a lot of Carolina basketball you see on the court, but it is tweaked. And I talked to someone, um, I don't want to reveal the name, but I talked to someone who would know. And they said, this is exactly what Coach Davis told us the offense was going to look like, what his system was going to look like. Everything he said has come true thus far. So I thought that was interesting. Can't get a lot of offensive rebounds if the other team's getting it out of the net. They're doing a very good job defensive rebounding too. They're like 20th in the country in that mainly because of Dawson Garcia. He's like 
86th or something in defensive rebound percentage. Yeah, and uh, real I knew it. caveat, but if you look at the other teams that Carolina's played thus far, Loyola, Charleston, and Brown, they've there all comes. played four games. <laughs> Mr. Uh, they're all right at 200 <laughs> or worse nationally in defensive efficiency. So not very good defensive teams. Um <laughs> It's gonna be a fun one. It's gonna be a fun weekend, <laughs> though. So, so we're gonna learn so much about this team this weekend. I was gonna say when we circle back and do this next week, uh, we will know quite a bit more uh, about the uh, North Carolina basketball team under next Hubert week. Davis. You need to be wearing green. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have, a, I'm gonna get a blow up Grinch G-money, you, right you, here, you, put like yeah. G Biggie across his yeah. chest. You, you, you better be wearing green next week. All right, I'm, so you have a little hat on. I got to tell. I, I, I need a hat. I'm getting sunburned by my spotlights. I, uh, I'm gonna take a break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt because the masses Ooh. want to hear mm. Sherelle McMillan mm. talk, talk football. So you better bring it in the second half, Sherelle. Uh, Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Great friends of Inside Carolina and of you, the premium subscriber of Inside Carolina. If you're not, do it. Look. If you were a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina today at about 6.15, you got a text telling you some big news. You can't get it if you're not a premium subscriber. You should join up, and you get 10% off the order. They've got everything you need. It's wintertime. It's getting to be wintertime. Get your warm weather. Come out to the Wofford tailgate with us um, with some people in the chat. As long as they bring bacon, I'm good. I will join the tailgate if bacon's involved, and Johnny T-shirt can outfit you for that. Rate us, review us, subscribe. I'm going to let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back on the beat and game plan coming up. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available once again in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, boys, is, is the second portion of the show, which will be the game plan. Carolina and Wofford. This is InsideCarolina.com. This is Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, and special guest picker, Sherelle McMillan, bringing his football knowledge uh, to the set. Greg, Carolina and Wofford, I guess the big question is, is who's starting at quarterback on Saturday? Greg. You going to ask me? I thought Rell's going to answer this. 
Rel has been specifically requested to answer. Oh this yeah, question. hold on, hold on. I I read it wrong. Oh yeah, they did say Rel with Sam Howell maybe not playing. All right, Sherelle, who's the starter? Well, this is fun. I feel like I can be unfiltered and not have to uh, have any consequence when I say something <laughs> since it's so, football. So basically, you can be a you can be a college football fan. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you can be one of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> See that new, one number six of us. <laughs> no, I, I, I think Chris Well is going to start um, just because it seems like everybody said he's ahead um, just from reading all y'all stuff. And he has an extra year in the system, you know, more than Drake. Drake's only been there for, what, 11 months now, 10 months. Um, but I would expect both of them to play a lot, right? Uh, if you can get up on Wofford, you put Drake in and, and see what he can do, maybe – late second quarter, early third quarter, maybe do it by halves, depending upon what your lead is, um, and to see what you have. And, it, rem- I mean, I'm not making the comparison to the Orange Bowl, but it reminds me of that a little bit. It's kind of a almost like a game zero, um, like we talked about last year when the uh, opt-outs happen, happened. You get a little bit of a preview of what the offense might look like next year. Um, obviously, they've got some talent coming in with Pedaway and Hampton and Green and those guys, um, but, you know, Antoine Green might be back, and – Morales and Nesbitt are back and Josh Downs is back. So you get a little bit of a, of a preview of, of, you know, what it might look like when they play, I guess it's Florida A&M next August. Rail going full Dan Mullen. You know, that, that was 2020 season. This is the 2021 team in the bowl game. Greg, uh, somebody asked, why would Bo Corrales play on Saturday? Why would Sam Howell play anymore this season? Well, Sam Howell's a competitor. Um, and you only get so many opportunities to play football. I mean, he, he's played a lot in his college career, but he's only played 35 games. It's not a lot. And it's so, um, you know, fans have the luxury of, of looking at this stuff in a very unique way, in a very selfish way. And that's what makes being a fan so fun, right? Players don't do that. I mean, Sam has worked his butt off for a long, long time to be able to play these games. And so if he can play, he's going to play. And he knows that, that that can help his team. And so he's a good teammate. Uh, he's worked his butt off to get to this point. So that, that's why he would want to play if he could. Uh, I know a lot of people think he may opt out for the bowl game. Maybe. I have a hard time seeing him doing that. Um, and if he's hurt, that's a different story. Um, but in terms, of the, in terms of the who starts, I think people need to look at this from a Let's approach this as a critical thinking exercise. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly where you're going here. So the, the transfer portal has changed everything in the sport. And Mac Brown has been uh, open and honest about he wants to have four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. I think we can all agree, given how things have turned out the last year with the portal, that is uh, very optimistic and unlikely for that to occur. And so when you're sitting here talking about how things set up, when, when the team came to campus for training camp in August, the, everybody knew that Sam Howe was probably playing his final year and that he was going to go pro and, and be in the draft next spring. So you're really looking at three quarterbacks on your roster that you have to get ready to compete for next year. I know you got a true freshman coming in, but it's, it's pretty much Drake May, Jacoby Criswell, and then Jefferson Boas. Um, Criswell is the older guy. He's been around longer. So if we get to a situation where Sam Howell can't go Saturday or he can't go against NC State, if Drake May gets to start, 
Well, what's going to happen with Criswell, at least in his mind? It's what does that signal? If you're correct. if you're Criswell, how do you understand that as signaling your future in the program? Right. There's a guy that's younger than me playing more than I am right now. I'm behind a guy younger than me. So at least you would think a player in that situation would entertain saying, you know what? I'm going to be a backup for another three years. I'm going somewhere else. Especially a guy who's from out of state. Correct. And has a program on the rise back home with Sam Pittman. If you flip it and you say, okay, what if Chriswell starts? How does that affect Drake May? Well, Drake May can say, I didn't get to campus until January. I haven't been in the program an entire year. So even if the guy older than me plays, I've got an entire offseason to work my butt off to get better, and I can push him for that starting job in training camp. And so these are the conversations that the coaches have to have. How are you working ego situation? How are you working this to make sure you've got quarterbacks on the roster for next year? Because they don't want to be in the situation they were in 2019 where it was basically Sam Howe, and that's it. They couldn't run him in 2019 because they didn't have anybody behind him. Um, and those are all the, the processes that go involved. The transfer portal, I mean, we, we scraped the iceberg a little bit. A lot of this stuff is going to be filtering out in the next couple of years. It's going to be interesting to watch. And to build on what Greg just said, the other thing is, let's just go ahead and, and say now, when people are asking all offseason about who's going to be the starting quarterback next season, I can pretty well guarantee you that that the team will not be informed that the coach or that the coaches will not inform the quarterback who is starting that he is starting until the week of and probably maybe even into the week of because of that exact thing you get a kid that you know at the beginning of the season you find out sometime in camp that you're not going to be the guy you can go somewhere else right then and, you know, potentially not lose a year of eligibility with the way that certain things work right now. You keep a guy on campus and he's enrolled and all of these other things. He's at least likely to stick out most of the season and you at least have kept, kept some of your depth. There is pretty much zero benefit. I was saying uh, we were talking off, off air about what's the benefit of hiding injuries or, you know, keeping practices closed on lots of things. Like I think a lot of that stuff is just like wildly overrated by coaches across the country in terms of value of that. One thing that is maybe underrated <laughs> is making sure that you play up position competitions at this point to make sure that, that w- whatever players are involved really believe and you communicate to them that they're getting a fair shake and that, they have a, a legit shot of being the starter. You, you have to do that because of exactly everything you just said. And so a lot of these things are going to continue, not just this weekend. And, you know, I think the plan for them is not just a matter of who starts, but how do you manage those reps during the game? And how do you manage that, you know, in the next game, if, the, if you have to, how you manage that builds into next year and it determines a lot about your depth. So you have to be monitoring that, making sure that you're splitting reps in a way that makes sense given the ego situation and given the portal situation. So this, this conversation is going to continue all off season. I'm, I'm confident of that. I've started to think of it kind of like what Oklahoma's dealt with this year. 
and Mac loves to bring up Lincoln Riley. So I think it's a good comparison. And it's different because you had spit, they had Spencer Rattler, who was, I mean, it was him and Sam that they were talking about. Right. They were like the two most uh, experienced returning college quarterbacks. Uh, It's Oklahoma. It's Lincoln Riley's offense. He's going to do what he did last year, but uh, even better. And then you got fans calling for his butt to be benched. And then he, he is benched for Caleb Williams. In the locker room that wanted anybody but him to be the quarterback too, right. which was another complicating factor. And then Caleb Williams comes out, does well, and then he starts to do poor. And then it's just a reversal. And then you've got fans calling for Spencer, for Spencer and Rattler to come back out. And is that kind of where – and now obviously either Drake or Jacoby, whoever wins it, could win it and – have it and be that much better than the other guy and be the starter like Sam did. But if not, and if it's going based off what we know now, which is they're even, is that the path that they're headed down towards? Could be interesting. We're we're having this discussion now. I thought it would probably be in August of next year or even in the spring. It looked like they woke Rattler up on the bench. Uh, against Baylor and say get out there um I did watch Oklahoma and Baylor game and, and they put him out there and he did not look great um Sherelle get back in here the football masses the, the masses are still calling for your stuff I mean I, I just wanted to ask Greg and Jason like y'all really think the Monday before Florida and and we will not know who the starter is going to be I is that I think that's I think that's completely a, a oh, real man. possibility assuming the roster is what it is right right, right. now yeah yep. No, I mean, if Sam Howell decided for some reason to come back, we'd know. But I don't think that's likely to happen. I don't think the coaching staff expects that to happen. So if, if, it's, if the starter's not Sam, I don't think we'll know the Monday of. So Drake May and Jacoby Criswell have taken the exact same number of snaps since March. They, they literally count the snaps to make sure they match up. And this, by the way, goes back to you were talking about we were talking about this in uh, in in, uh, the basketball discussion. Uh, Tommy, I think you said it about how important it is that guys feel like you're being fair. This is one of the things that one of the benefits of Hubert, for example, using the defensive grading as a way of determining who starts and, and playing time and all of that is that there's an objectivity to that. And if a kid comes into your office and says, coach, why am I not playing? Like I should be playing. You can kind of tap the sign, you know, as it were, and go, what was your uh, defensive grade the last time I did play you? Right. It's, and, and this is why, you know, going back to even when I was in college, every play in college then where I was, was graded. Like you got grades on like this is a plus or a minus and so on you got graded in practice and this is how this works all the more now i mean coach uh uh uh, you have more back then you just had a couple gas and and the coaches so i mean it was a lot of extra work now with a couple analysts and all that you're gonna have an you're gonna have a couple analysts that they're responsible for going through and grading every player in every drill every practice and then when a kid says like I think I should be the starter. You say, well, your accuracy rate 
in practice has been 68%. His has been 73%. You've since the start, since uh, the start of camp, you've thrown, let's see, that's 16 interceptions. He's thrown nine and you start going down the list and all of those numbers, all of those numbers are kept internally now so that when it comes time for it, not only the player, but the rest of the team knows like, these are the grades. Here's what the, here's what grades this guy's gotten. Here's the numbers and so on. And everything from every drill is kept and, and kept track of partly because that's a way of being able to communicate to your guys that I'm being fair. Like the number is what it is. You're just not as, you're not as accurate. You need to keep working on that. So before we leave the quarterback conversation, I, I want to share some information and then I'm going to ask the, the group a, a question. Um, roster management is such a difficult thing. I almost think it was easier when we didn't have the four game rule for red shirts because you knew if a kid played his red shirt was gone, not the case anymore. And so while you have this luxury of being able to get kids in and letting them play four games, you have to be strategic with how you do it. Uh, so how many games has Drake May played this year? Two. Georgia State and Duke. Now, why that's – One snap in one of those. I think three and two, yeah. yeah. Um, which, again, like I imagine at that point in time, that was early in the year, you're thinking – go ahead, Gregory. So technically they haven't played the same number of snaps since March because Jacoby Criswell has seven more. In games, by the way. Maybe they gave Drake like <laughs> seven more in practice. Um, so maybe the thinking for the coaching staff was, you know, we got through Virginia Tech, uh, win a couple games there. We're going to get to play Drake more anyway. He's only playing two games. Well, let's say that Sam Howe is actually really hurt. And let's this is hypothetically say Sam Howe is out for the year. Well, Saturday's an important game for Drake May just because it's against a really bad opponent. He can play a lot of snaps. Well, that gets you up to three. So in that scenario, do you play him against NC State and not play him in the bowl game? Do you hold him against NC State and hope that Chriswell doesn't get hurt and then let him play in the bowl game? Or do you play him in both and burn his red shirt? That's my question. I think now if somebody's good, they don't stay the full five years anyway. That would be my response. How many years did Peppers play at Carolina? How many years did Dre, Dre Bly play at Carolina? Two. Yeah. Arch Downs is going to play two. Uh, virtually two. He played some last year. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. Peppers, so, quarterback, that's a little quarterback. That's a little different, but I think, I think that's, you're still generally speaking, if you get three good years out of a quarterback, you've, you've done really, really well. I mean, think about this. I mean, you got three out of Sam. Think about what Sam has done in three years. If you can get three years out of a out of a top flight quarterback, you've done you've done great. And the thing is, the other thing you're hoping, and Mac has been very very candid about this. You're hoping when you recruit a quarterback that he's out of there in three years, <laughs> because that means that guy was really good. And if he if he's not good enough to be out of there in three years, then you recruited over him anyway. You recruited over him anyway, in theory, and he's probably out of there in three years because he transferred. That's part of the difference now is that you're not actually 
I mean, the days of, uh, of, you know, Florida state in the nineties, where every starting quarterback they had for like 15 years in a row was a red shirt junior or older. Those, those days are over. You get a guy that's talented enough to start at this level and he's going to have to start by the time he's a red shirt, red shirt, freshman, a red shirt, sophomore, he's gone. And you better recruit his replacement within, you know, two classes of him. If, if there's any chance that he, that he might leave. So you, you always have to be recruit, recruiting quarterbacks is a, is a perpetual task in college football now for that reason. So, yeah, I don't think you worry about playing about, about a red shirt with, uh, with, with Drake may at all. So what do you think, Sherelle? I have a logistics question. So may enrolled in January, right? Do January enrollees get the COVID year? No. Okay. All right. Then yeah, I'd say burn it. That's a good question. I had not thought about that. Huh. Who knows what the NCAA will do <laughs> three that years from now. That is a good question, now. yeah. Well, yeah the, I, the, the, the hardest thing about the COVID year, and this is what you're hearing coaches all around the country talk about, is all these players get that extra year of eligibility, but the rosters don't expand now. Right, right. Like the, they allowed I thought them they to, No, they were. allowed them this year to have more players on the roster they got a, They got a. They got to bump their roster up. I don't know what the cap was this year. Was it ninety five now for this year, something like that? Uh, but however many players had the extra COVID year and wanted to use it, as long as your institution was willing to pay for the scholarship, they could be there. That is not true for next year and following. Which means if you've got some guys who want to be super seniors who are sixth year. Those guys were off your board, like they were off your roster count <laughs> in terms of recruiting. And, you know, you're counting on and, and, and you know, those who are on the message boards, uh, the Tar Pit Premium message board, I know every year has this some concern about, wait a second, we're recruiting 21 guys and there's only 13 seniors. I mean, how is this going to work out? And there's always this mantra of like the numbers will work out. The numbers will work out. There's always attrition. That's a little bit trickier it's a dicier situation when if a guy decides he wants to stay for a super senior year he the, the school has to honor that and they have like that doesn't give them any extra like that takes a scholarship away that they would be giving to a young guy right and rel what what has happened is that the uh coaches association has pushed really hard this offseason to get the ncaa to provide some leniency and it may not be open-ended it may be like just three or four scholarships to offset some of this. So it's not, you know, you've got super senior year and then it's strict at 85 again, but you got guys like Dave Clawson at Wake Forest mm -hmm. who right now he's got 17 guys eligible to come back, 17 starters eligible to come back next year, including his starting quarterback. And so what's Dave saying? Oh, uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> We should give no leniency whatsoever. If they can't manage their roster better, that's their fault. That's not mine. And so that's, that's up for grabs, but the NCAA is going to have to make a decision sooner or later. I think, I think they'll end up bumping it by four or five is my guess. So it won't yeah. be like this year. I think this year there, were, there was actually no technical limit in the sense of if you had guys that, that wanted to stay for the extra year, you had, like, as long as you would pay for their scholarship, mm -hmm. they, were, they didn't count. They're not going to do that again. But I wouldn't be surprised if they bumped it by like five. And that 
that'll allow teams to recruit stair step it a little bit. Yeah. Basically that'll allow teams to recruit a little bit closer to their normal number without, you know, without there being as much of a shock. So. Greg, let me ask a a quasi recruiting roster management question. Um, A lot of people want us to talk about Andre green. Uh, Ross and Don did a emergency pod. Yeah. and, And there's a ton of content on green on the site. Um, but when it comes to a guy like Green committing to Carolina, how much does that affect coaches and their encouragement of super seniors or um, guys <laughs> with extra years to stick around? How does how does that work? Like, no, sir. like, like you've got guys in positions of need that would really be beneficial for the team if they came back, right? But then you've got guys that play at positions where you'd love the leadership and the and the seniority if they came back. But there's guys that are coming in and that are young on the roster that are studs. How does that work with the coaching staff? Not necessarily Carolina, I guess across the nation with this type of situation with all this COVID year and extra years and medical years and all that stuff. Uh Honesty is now the best policy, and that hasn't always been the case. Because, <laughs> boy, is that a, is right. that the understatement of this podcast? <laughs> right. Oh my goodness! So the the portal has changed things in a lot of different ways, and the players have the ability to leave when they want to leave at least one time, and it not really affect them. And that has just kind of thrown a wrench into how coaches like to handle roster management, and so it really has. I mean, Mac Brown's talked about it. He had conversations with all of his players in the offseason before the season started. He had conversations with them again during the bye week. And he's going to do it again after the NC State game. And what those conversations are is, look, what are your thoughts about how, how you feel you're about your spot in the, uh, the lineup and the depth chart? This is what we think. We don't think you're going to be able to play much for us next year. And we think it's probably better if, if, if you want to go somewhere else and we'll help you find the spot. If um, you want to, if you want to play this much, you're going to probably need to go somewhere else. We would love to have the depth son. And we love having you here. We love your leadership. We're not pushing you out the door. Understand that, but we really want to make sure that, you know, you're getting out of, out of, out of this, this, your eligibility, what you want to get. And if you want to be at a team that, you know, that you can help support and maybe you want to have a future in coaching, that sort of thing, then we'll, we'll work with you on these sorts of things, but understand that, you know, these couple guys, they're, they're, they're probably going to be ahead of you next year. And, you know, you'll probably be third or fourth on the depth chart and you'll just have to determine how much you really want to be, how much you want to, you want to be here and, and really not play all that much and just be in the locker room versus potentially going somewhere else where you can play, you know, and that, so I won't make the decision for you, but understand we'll support whatever decision you make. Correct. And I think, <laughs> I think Mac is probably a little bit more forthright than that. Um, and those are the well, conversations. With some guys. Yeah. With yeah. some guys, <laughs> please go. Right. Right. And so that, <laughs> those are the conversations that are, that are being had. You also have to understand though, is that while they are taking into account the talent coming in, you know, a lot of these position coaches have numbers they're trying to hit, like a quota, basically. We want this many guys in our position group if we can because we need depth in case people get hurt. Um, now, if you got to have guy, four running backs that can play. Correct. 
It's the whole thing for scholarship quarterbacks is what Mac wants. So Gotta is have there 14, 15 offensive line? Right. So, so is there a guy or two who may not be able to play? Yeah. But if, if you need him in the moment for depth purposes, maybe you'll hang on to him. If you don't need him, then you're going to be a little bit more like, yeah, you know what? We're going to help you find somewhere where you can actually play. It is a business. And uh, yeah, it's treated as such. And, and as far as, as far as ahead, that Jason. too, as far as the honesty and the business side of it, the other part of this, that's, that's, there are two other parts of this that are going to get, going to get real interesting. But going back to the honesty thing, the other thing, in addition to the portal that has made the honesty thing that much uh, bigger a deal is social media and the fact that all of these players have each other's phone numbers across the country. And if not phone numbers, their Twitter, pro, Twitter and, you know, all these group chats and everything. Players from, in, from all sorts of different teams across the nation are on group chats together, right? And so when a coach is not honest with a player, when a player feels like he was lied to, every player that player is friends with is ultimately going to hear it at some point. And that's going to filter out. And guess what that's going to mean in terms of where guys are, are more likely to want to go in the transfer portal versus where they're going to want to leave in the transfer portal. If you want to be an attractive destination for, tra for the transfer portal, you need the guys on your roster, even the guys who are leaving to be going, yeah, you know, I just wasn't good enough or, you know, Hey, I got a fair shake. They were honest with me or whatever. What you do not want is guys like, man, you guys don't want to go there because that coach, that coach is a snake. That right there will kill your talent acquisition at this point, which is why what you were just saying, Greg, you didn't used to be the best policy, but now if you're not honest, it will bite you. Like it would be really interesting to see Urban Meyer in this in this uh, in this current climate, for example, given some of the things that I know about some of the roster stuff with him over the years and different players. I mean, it's a different world. And the other, the, the, I said there were two things. The other thing is the, the name, image, and likeness stuff is a really interesting because we've had the portal for a couple years now. We've had that for one. But how's this going to work out when a guy wants to hit the transfer portal, but he's got NIL deals with the local businesses for Chapel Hill? And, you know, I'm not playing quite as much, but I got a pretty, th pretty good thing going here. You know, if, if you're DJ Uyunglele, for example, let's say he loses his, his starting job at Clemson. He's got seven figures and name, image, and likeness deals down there. Seven figures. Does he decide to transfer somewhere else? I mean, a couple of those deals are national, but, uh, but does he decide to tra transfer somewhere else and try to, you know, replicate that? Or does he say, you know, it's going to be hard for me to improve on this business situation where I'm at, I'm going to stay here for now. Does he keep and, those deals if he doesn't play though? Well, that's the question. I mean, it depends, depends on how all this stuff goes. And so we're still in the infancy right now of the NIL stuff and you how all this stuff is going to work have out. A, you can't have a contract signed that's dependent upon production. That's right. So since you can't have that now, they may not renew it. Right. And, and, and junior can't over there is right. It. Yeah. Can't have it. Exactly. Come on. 
What? No, you're wrong. Just like, just like, there's like, come that. No, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. It's just like before rope. nil, there were no players that got free meals from any restaurants or anything in college towns, right? There's no or paper bags legs, of, or or free no paper crab bags legs of money Publix, being handed around. No way, you know. You'd never, you'd never expect a guy to walk into a local grocery store and for, you know, say the, uh, the person at the, at the seafood counter to have a deal with him to be able to walk out as he wants with whatever seafood he wants. You'd never expect that sort of thing before NIL, right? Before all that, everything was above board, but no, really. I mean, this is one of those things that was an interesting, oh yeah, yeah. Poor Jameis. Yeah. We should all feel bad for that guy. Um, but, but he got but, screwed uh, on that. I will say that he didn't well, steal them crab legs. He just no, he didn't. He didn't. But he took one for the team, and he did the right thing there by basically saying, "Look, I, you know, I'll I'll take the blame on this because if I don't, we're all in trouble." Um, but you know, you got to beware of what your situation is and not be stupid about things. And he had a hard time with that at times. So, um, so, and that's all I'm gonna say about that. But um, but he. he uh, but, you know, these guys with the NIL stuff, it's going to be interesting because I, I do wonder whether like in certain places where if a guy is not playing, you have certain deals get made to make sure that this guy's happy this year. Make sure he's taken care like some of the big programs, like some of the really deep pocketed programs, your Texas A&Ms of the world where you say, look, we need to keep this kid on the roster and he's not going to play as much this year. And we need to keep him next year because depth wise, we just got to have him. Can you guys, you know, toss six figures of money at this kid just so that he, he doesn't leave. And, you know, after that, you know, if he doesn't play, he doesn't play, but we need that guy. I, I just wonder whether some of that stuff's going to happen too, in terms of the, the, the disconnect with the portal. And also of course, attracting guys into the portal Oh, it's a totally different world. It's a mess. Um, just think you can get dream sport, motorsports, dream world, motorsports, or whatever it is. To <laughs> what? <sponsor you. clears throat> Look it up. Look up that name. It's relevant to the triangle right now. All right, let's talk about. <laughs> you can go get uh, a motor go get a, Sounds like a Hunger Games thing. Motor, motor, motor. motor. You can go get a pretty. You can go get a pretty white white Jeep uh, and drive it through Eflin, North Carolina, and sit in the back seat while while not driving. Uh, Gregory, let's go around the room. I'll start with Gregory since he's now been I know mostly quiet until I woke him up. Yeah, I, I will say I this. I thought you I said have, murder sports. I have never ridden in the back seat of my own personal vehicle <laughs> if the front seat was open and I wasn't driving. Never. Anyway, I digress. Gregory, what do we want to see on Saturday? Shrell, I love you. I see that look. It's like, come on, man. Gregory, what do we want to see Saturday versus Wofford? DeAndre Boykins. I've been looking. I've been wanting to see him. and I want to. I want to see what he can do, especially with Kyler listed on the senior day chart. Um, that's a young guy that I want to, I want to see. Um, and I know everyone's going to want to see power and rah, rah. Um, so I guess they're on my list too. Um, and then I, I guess maybe see how they use Nesbitt more. If he's got, if maybe if Nesbitt plays, I mean, he's been playing, right. And we know how talented he is and, the ceiling he has. Um, but those are probably my guys see how they use Nesbitt. Maybe they use him more. Maybe they put him out wide more. Um, and then those defenders just Great to see point. how it's handled. Yep. Absolutely. I, I don't know how much we can learn from playing against Wofford, but I agree with you. I want to see some of the younger guys and those are some good names. What's up, Greg. AJ Binkley. 
uh, I think is the uh, the one at the top of the list, and um, I think any of the the linemen. Why is he good. called? Why do we? Why why KJ Binkley? That's isn't it Kendrick that, Bingley Jones? It is. Mac has called him KJ Binkley for two years, <laughs> like I consistently KJ Binkley. Yeah, it's, it's 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 great. It's great. Um, yeah. Any of the look for North Carolina, everybody's excited about you know, the recruiting. I get it. You got to be elite up front, and the only way you get elite up front is to play a lot of these young guys on both lines. So the quicker UNC is. Uh, effective on the offensive line and then if you defensive line the sooner the teams can be able to take that next step where they can challenge for the acc title and then maybe get to the top 10 and all those kind of things so all the guys in the trenches all of them play them all jason yeah. staples we won't see saturday i'm just curious to see who tommy ashley's favorite favorite player is going to be it'll change on saturday won't well, it? that's the thing like right right i mean up till now, it might your be favorite Jefferson player Boas. Has, right. Your favorite <laughs> player up until now has been Jacoby Criswell, I would think. But on Ballard. Saturday, if that's the guy that takes the first snap, he, he's not your favorite anymore. I mean, you're fickle. You're a fickle mistress on this. So, or Mister. Um, so, <laughs> so I mean, this is. Uh, I'm curious to see who your favorite's going to be after this game. No, no really, I, I'm with. I'm with Greg here. I mean, I've beaten the, the, the trenches drum for since I've been around inside Carolina. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, those who've paid attention for long, long enough, and especially those on the tar pit premium message boards remember, you know, I got asked about three years ago when, when Carolina was, uh, was humming along pretty well, you know, how, how far, how far do you think Florida or, uh, uh, uh Carolina has to go to be competitive with the Clemsons and Florida States of the world. That was back when Florida State actually was decent, right? How 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 long how long do you think it'll take? I said eh, probably three three years of really solid recruiting, and I got dragged, <laughs> right? I got dragged on the boards, and I got dragged. You know, some of the people on commenting on this podcast for that stuff. But the reason is it takes three four years to develop the trenches to be competitive with the with the true elites. And yep. you got to, and, and that's partly because you got to recruit enough talent and it takes stacking a couple classes together to get that. And partly because it takes longer to develop those guys, especially in the offensive side. I mean, you're looking at three years went from the time of getting a four or five star guy on campus to him really being that on, on game day, usually. Now there are a few exceptions to that. You know, those are, you know, they should have like a six star for some of those guys, but, with the very few exceptions, you're looking at two, three years minimum. Probably three years for offensive line is the, is the norm for even a blue chip guy. So I'm wanting to see some of the guys that that have been. I want to see Caden Baker. I, I, I want to see some of these guys that are pretty highly recruited, reasonably talented guys up front, and see how they're developing. I want to get an opportunity to see those trenches, those guys in the trenches and, and see what, what that talent is going to look like moving forward. They were on this podcast, know the origin of blue chip and blue blood. Like what's up with that? Well, blue blood goes back to the old idea of, I can tell you that it's, it goes back to um, in Europe, the uh, various families that were 
royal tended to be, first of all, they tended to be pretty inbred. So many of them actually had uh, hemophilia and that sort of thing because they were, uh, uh, they were um, marrying cousins and all of this repeatedly in order to uh, keep the, the land and the family and all this. And one of the things that, that was a consequence of a lot of that is that they were very, very, very white skinned in many cases. And if you're around really white people at times, their veins stick out as, uh, you know, you, you see the, you see the blue blood, either. you see the blue blood and they were and, the Royal ones and they were, and it was a mark of Royal. First of all, you weren't out to get enough of a tan to, to hide it. Right. Cause you weren't working in the fields or anything. So blue blood had to do with the idea that the blood running through your veins was mm -hmm. blue as opposed to, you know, other people they'd get, you know, cut or whatever. And it's, so is this idea. So it goes back to that. First of all, blue chip goes back to, uh, goes back to um, uh, the stock market. So you had blue chip mm. stocks and things like that, that had to do with, with all of that. And I'm not a hundred percent where that came from on the, on the stock market, but, but the uh, recruiting gambling. Is it, sort of is it gambling. From, yeah. Is nope. it from the, is it from the blue chips and gambling representing a higher yep. thought it might. Tommy says no. A Google search shows the term blue chip <laughs> was first used to describe high price stocks in 1923 when Oliver Greengold, an employee at Dow Jones, is there, observed certain stocks trading at $200 or more. See, I could I have Googled a, my question. Too, I've got a 19th century reference <laughs> of gambling. I could have Googled it, but we wouldn't have gotten Jason Staples talking about inbreds and hemophilia and royal which is, family. Which uh, I'm glad you didn't. That was, that was excellent. I grew up thinking blue blood was just because it was Kansas, Duke, Carolina, and Kentucky. And I was like, oh, yeah, blue blood. They're all blue. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, that's that's good. That is that. I mean, <laughs> if you're asking about that, yes, that's correct. I was just sorry. I just, yeah. I thought you were going to say. I'm I glad I asked chip. the question because that was very entertaining. But I thought yeah. you were going to say blue chips. That's the movie, right? Uh, Sherelle. Naughty, yeah. That, that movie's hilarious. Um, first of all, Greg, score for Wofford, Carolina. And I got uh, Dodd asking us to break down Wofford. <laughs> 84 to three. Uh, they run a um, slot option veer, slot back veer. Right? Isn't that right, Carolina's going to win 84 to three? 84 to three, yeah. I, I, I think it's going to be a little, little lower than that. Um, <laughs> just a little. Oh, so but, bold of you to say. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, – mm. Because they're going to play a lot of young guys in this game, and they got to throw the ball right. If Chriswell and May only no, have the ball, they're going to have to. <laughs> um, mm. Wofford has lost nine straight to FCS opponents and lost five of them by twenty plus points. Yeah, nice. I'm going to go with uh, with sixty one to get sixty one points. Sixty one to thirteen. They ain't scoring thirteen. They, I they, think they might not, but it's going to be young. There's going to be some young guys. There might be a guy that slips or whatever, maybe 61 to nine, something like that. I mean, it's going to be ugly. I don't have a score prediction, but I think the it combination of JJ Jones and Gavin Blackwell has three touchdowns. That's mm. my prediction. All right. Sherelle's looks like he's packing his stuff up, but he doesn't realize. Someone I, I, asked I, for closing comments from Sherelle McMillan. I, I just <laughs> don't get full size. I tend not to um, tempt fate the way you are. Like, they have to win the game to get to a bowl. And, like, 
It's like, oh, they're going by 70. They're going by 50. Like, I mean, they don't have to win this not- game to get to a bowl. They're going to play NC State in a week. <laughs> <laughs> more attending. See, Jason, yeah, see, more attending of fate. When, you know, I co- I'm objective when it comes to Carolina basketball. With Carolina football, um, you always expect the worst thing to happen. And what 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 would be the, the most Carolina football thing of all time would be for Sam Howe to be injured and then find a way to lose to the most – terrible fcs team of all time side note with both backup quarterbacks with getting both hurt backup in the process. yeah yeah and y'all are y'all are really the wofford boards wherever they are y'all are just setting them off right now they are in a frenzy <laughs> i don't think it is, it is wofford. Wofford. <laughs> the bulldog no. the wofford i don't care with, with the three put up three subscribers who also Florida. own the site but Hold it on. is, it I can is Google carolina that. football it is carolina football and carolina football <laughs> has in a unique way of grasping the worst possible situation out of, uh, you know, just out of thin air. Like it's, it's not ECU, Sherelle. It's it doesn't wild. matter. NC State Shh. win win the game, and then we can talk about NC State. Like, don't take what you can't take what for for granted. I'm not. It doesn't I'm matter. Not you playing. Sound like, I'm not playing. Like you granted. sound like Jay Bateman. Well, the NC State games say. on the road at night. I mean, it's a shoe in, right? <laughs> well. I mean, they won by like 40 last time they played NC State at night. Dude, Robin, I'm so on the Wofford Met 24-7 message board. They say Jason Staples can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and no, at least I, it'll be warm. He's out here talking about inbreds. And, <laughs> at least my no, friends will I, be there. I, I just I want to see Dev I want to see Des Evans play like a really good game. I want to see Gerard Ritzy. I need him. I need him to get a snaps. sack. Yeah. You I, need, I, based on the preseason projections, you need him to get about eight. <laughs> I just, but like, I need him to get just one. So I, <laughs> if he gets zero sacks, I'm never making a prediction about a player. Oh, I don't believe you for a ever second. again. Hey, I don't Gregory, believe you for a second. That, Tommy Pitt, Carolina to go 12 and 0. You're good. You're good. <laughs> and I'm still point, better than guilty. you are. On I feel pick. guilty for Des Evans at this point. Zero. Uh, oh. You know what's funny? Uh, talking about some, <laughs> He's somebody else in your bald spot. Somebody on Twitter, that's not bald spot. That's a bald dome. Somebody on Twitter was giving me crap um, because I said Carolina playing at Charleston is a good game. You know, you get to play a good game in an environment. They said, yeah, I'll see how your football prediction went for you. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be six, seven, eight years from now. And you're still going to be hearing about that, Tommy. I'm going to be right one time. I may be in the grave, but I'm going to be right when I pick them 12 and 0. one time, sometime. Just predict them. Who are you going to be picking 12 and 0 to be right? Carolina 12 and 0. Oh, okay. You were talking about that. Okay. Sure. So, Sherelle, you got Carolina winning 10, six and the nail biter. What, what is it? What is it? What is it that Joey does? He picks Carolina to lose by by hundred every game. Uh, eighty four to three. Yeah, eighty. Yeah, nah. I I mean I would guess it, Mac will call off the dogs like fifty five thirteen or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think I think we're gonna see them throwing the ball all over the field the whole game. They got to. They got to. They don't anyway, have to. If they don't, and then they go into Raleigh at night, maybe if they get a different quarterback, they'll play better at night. Hmm, that's a well, thought. maybe if they're maybe if they're playing, you know, a different quarterback <laughs> this week, you know, when Sam Howell comes back out for NC State, those guys will be surprised. <laughs> Got to keep this stuff close to the vest, guys. <laughs> Prepare for Drake and Chriswell, the two yeah. head monsters. I know boys. NC State. That's what they'll be doing. I'm starting to sundown. It's getting <laughs> past my bedtime. Uh, it's time to get out of here. Uh, Sherelle, appreciate you joining this rowdy bunch. Uh, we'll have to do it again next week. I'm not sure what the schedule's like, but we'll probably do it again. 
Greg Barnes, appreciate you coming straight from the stage, straight from Charleston. Was it a good trip? Did you drive or did you fly down there? I drove. Where is he flying to? I don't know. Rich people have planes that can fly oh, straight Lord. into Charleston. Straight down uh, lovely 95. He yeah, was well, on, he and, was on know, Roy Greg, Williams. Greg is plane. a blue blood, so I'd expect him to have that kind of <laughs> royalty. Kind of coin. I Jason, flew Roy and Wanda. <laughs> Did you play golf with him? Yeah, we played at Wild Dunes. That man is living the life. I like, I like Wild Dunes. He is living the life. Uh, never looked what, happy. What'd you shoot? He's he's BSing uh, you. Uh, 82. No. Okay. Now, Roy wouldn't invite me to go play Wild Dunes with him. Greg Barnes oh. hadn't shot 82 since he was like 15. Probably didn't do it then. That's disrespectful. Uh, he's saying he shoots better than that. He's good. Yeah. Uh, I played with Greg him Greg can play. All right, boys. I got the proof over here. Let me show y'all something. Hold on. Greg, you remember this? I had the we're, stream we're ending see, picture up, and I got to bring hey, it back. Hey, there we go. Where is it? Yeah. Greg Barnes torched. Uh, what course was that over that there? Anyway, Country Club. the Larry Fedora Charity Golf Tournament. First the best place. thing about that, it was the Larry Fedora Golf Tournament, and Tommy and I are walking up, and we're like, where's Fedora at? A car pulls up. Fedora hops out, walks over to where the crowd is, gives like a 30-second speech, and then runs back and gets in the car and leaves. I know. Never to be seen again. That's pretty that, that is That is as Larry a story. <laughs> that might be the most Larry story I've heard right yep. there. That's Larry. That only the only Larry. thing that could make that more Larry is if he had pulled up in a helicopter instead of a car. <laughs> That's right. Land on number one T-Box. <laughs> give a speech and speed up. Give a speech after the tournament's over. That, in that a helico- from the helicopter the and then bam. All right, boys. Gregory, appreciate you dealing with us. Greg, Jason, Rail. I've been your host, Tommy Ashley. Rate us, review us, subscribe so you can get more of this great content on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. Uh, Thanks, guys. We'll see you again next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.